Thanks for tuning in to Best Show Ever, a podcast presented by the Angler Theater. This week, we're talking about journaling and why it's so darn good for you. Then we'll chat with visual artist Mark Vollenweider and one of the owners of the new Prairie Kitchen store, Kevin Felker. But first, a word from our sponsors. Toyota of Iowa City has been owned and directly managed by the Drusicki family since 1981. What makes Toyota of Iowa City unique is their long-standing reputation for customer satisfaction in both sales and service, transparency, and supporting our community, including the Englert Theater. Please visit their website at toyotaiowacity.com to make service appointments, review inventory, or check out current factory incentives. Or find them on Highway 1 West. Okay, y'all, I'm going to be real. When I decided to attack the topic of journaling trends, namely bullet journaling for today's arts news, I thought it was going to be a flirty, fun topic, not too emotionally taxing to write about. I wasn't ready for the onslaught of research that proves the vast benefits of journaling. Like, forget the fountain of youth, forget tropical vacations, forget unlimited wealth and success. Pen and paper is our true untapped potential. And I'm mad because I'm like, this whole time, I haven't been doing it. Oh, well. So before we talk about trends in the journaling space, let's talk about some of the magic juice that basic expressive writing holds. I can't even get into all of the amazing benefits of journaling because there's too much and I'm not a scientist. But just to give some spark notes, it's a proven method of reducing stress. It improves memory and thus cognitive processing. It's a mood booster. What's more, journaling can even provide improvements to physical health. A study done by Cambridge University found even small doses of journaling can lower blood pressure and improve liver function. The journaling participants were even less likely to get sick and less likely to be affected by trauma. And this one's maybe the biggest kicker for me. Journaling can even help you get over your ex. Scientifically proven. Wow, no one ever told me that. Now, this seems like a no-brainer, but the way we journal affects the physical and psychological impacts, i.e. different kinds of journals heed different results. Recent studies have shown that those who practice dream journaling, writing down dreams immediately after they occur, are statistically shown to have distinct personality traits from doing so, including openness to experience and low conscientiousness. Nature journaling is said to increase vitality. Journaling with prompts can make a massive difference in overall results. That same Cambridge study found that writing about traumatic, stressful, or emotional events led to better health outcomes than writing about neutral events. And prompting subjects to think about those events cognitively and emotionally, rather than just emotionally, made a world of a difference in the subject's ability to desensitize themselves to trauma and become more prepared for future traumatic events. There is a world of journaling techniques out there promising all kinds of varying results. Sociological and technological shifts in American culture have brought a handful of new journaling strategies to the forefront. For many, social media is the go-to medium for self-expression, projecting inward discoveries out into the internet ethers. Some even create private journaling accounts on Twitter or Instagram. Guilty as charged. 
There are also endless journaling and goal tracking apps that have hit the market in the past decade. But the journaling technique making the biggest splash is bullet journaling, Bujo for short. The bullet journal method was created by writer Carol with the intent of combining day planners, diaries, to-do lists, random sticky notes, and goal-setting apparatuses into one comprehensive journal. Typically, bullet journals start as blank notebooks, and customizable templates are drawn in to create a format, organizing pages for daily or weekly planning, notes, goals, habit tracking, to-do lists, and whatever else deemed fitting for the journaler. There's a system in place for prioritizing and shorthanding tasks, hence the bullet. In 2013, Carol published the method in an online tutorial, and lifestyle and productivity blogs started picking it up from there. There are now huge communities and sub-communities of active bullet journalers. Just search the hashtag bullet journal on Instagram and you'll find over 7 million related posts. The official bullet journal tutorial has 12 million views on YouTube. Its popularity has even been a light for office supply stores struggling in the digital age. In 2018 alone, there was an 18% increase in sales for the dotted grid notebooks used for bullet journaling, according to NPD retail reports. Other utensils for journaling, like color markers, paint markers, and gel pens, saw up to 17% increases as well. I first came across bullet journaling when I saw an influencer-type YouTube video walking through the creation of a particular spread. And I'll say it, I was turned off. Witnessing the painstaking task of the elaborate, picture-perfect template focused on hyper-productivity was basically everything I have been trying to avoid. Don't get me wrong, I'm messy as all heck, and organization is definitely something I'm looking to improve upon. But the over-the-top design template felt performative, and the highly involved structure of it all seemed to take away from the, the whimsical and warm connotation journaling has in my mind. But, alas, I continued to research and eventually became seduced by some of the philosophical ideas behind the practice. According to Carol, the bullet journal's mission is to help us become mindful about how we spend our two most valuable resources in life, our time and our energy. And I said, okay, I'm listening. He also describes tasks as experiences waiting to be born and as the potential substance of our future. Now, maybe these sentiments are genuine and maybe they're carefully crafted marketing campaigns, the shop button on the bullet journal website neither evades nor comforts me. Either way, thinking about planning and journaling and organizing as a means of checking in with ourselves and our values and plotted priorities resonates with me. More so, a community of people using a similar tool to do this work for themselves and then sharing what they've uncovered along the way is even more appealing. You know, it feels a bit taboo to ask your boss or acquaintance or the checkout person at Trader Joe's, you know, what they're manifesting today. But in a community of people looking to create more meaningful lives through journaling, it's commonplace. And to me, that's kind of beautiful. And just like any sort of cultural movement, there are subdivisions of followers. If you search bullet journal on social media, you'll find an array of uber decorative layouts, you may even land on a Bujo influencer, 
For many, this crafting element is the greatest appeal of bullet journaling. For others, it might feel competitive or unnecessary. But dig deeper and you'll probably find a bullet journal community that makes more sense for you. There's minimalist bujos, there's scrapbooking bujos, there's hashtag men who bullet. For the most part, it seems it's people who want to feel more control of their lives. And you can't judge anyone for that. It's possible that in 100 years from now, when we look back at the history of personal journaling, we'll see Marcus Aurelius's meditations and Charles Darwin and Marie Curie's diaries of science. And then you'll see the TikTok influencer bullet journals. (laughs) I'm kidding, but also I'm kind of not. Certainly, this movement will say something about the state of American culture in the 21st century, and certainly it will give us a bounty of historical artifacts depicting what self-care and productivity look like for Silicon Valley superstars, high school high achievers, and folks just clutching on to analog options in digital landscapes. And you know what, guys? I don't know. I might try it. Maybe it'll be just like another self-help book I pick up and then put down, but um, who knows? Maybe it's my ticket to health and happiness. I'll keep y'all updated. Mark Vollenweider is a visual artist known for his intricate pen and paper portraits. He is well acquainted with the advantages and disadvantages of being a working artist in the Midwest, having grown up in Waterloo and now being based in Iowa City. When he's not drawing, you may catch him driving public transit around town. Hey, Mark. Thank you for joining us. Um, I've been stalking all of your art all day, so I am officially super jacked to... uh, to be chatting. That's what my art's designed to do is to get people jacked. <laughs> well, it's effective. I want to, I want to fire people up. Yeah. That's what it's all about. Oh, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> Not really. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> we'll get into that. We'll get into that. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So right off the bat, um, my first question, when I look at your art, with these intricate pen or pencil drawings, very detailed, I'm thinking, how how long would you say on average, you know, a final product? How much, how long does it take you? Years? That's the question, <laughs> that's the question I get asked the most. And it's been that way for a long time. I don't know. That's why I started uh, recently, like, taping my drawings. And uh, I drew one, there's one I drew of a guy uh, who is featured on the podcast, your mom's house. If you ever, if you're familiar with that, uh, the, the, it's a, it's a recent post and it's a, it's a hairy guy. Uh, oh, with, I saw that one. Yeah. I think it, uh, that one took about four hours. Okay. Okay. I really thought it was going to be much longer, honestly, as you're going through and doing all of the detail, is that, sort of a meditative thing like every little chest hair that you draw on someone just over and over and over again like what kind of like mind state are you like focused in on each little hair is your mind is your mind thinking elsewhere kind of uh, a little bit of both 
um, yeah, a, 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 I don't know, deep focus, I guess. How do you feel? How do you feel when you're when you're done with an image, with a with a final product that you're happy with? Are you like in nirvana? Kind of, but then I have then I move on. It's not really like the uh, yeah. The goal is not the destination. Oh, that's beautiful. Oh no, he's a poet. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I'm not a poet. I'm not a poet. What what draws you? No pun intended. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Using (laughs) to using pen pen and paper as as your medium or pencil and paper like the very i feel like it's the most you know kind of s- not simple way you could go obviously you take it to another level but yeah what what is it about that medium that you are compelled to use it i think i'm i'm just i'm used to it and also something happened recently i was drawing a portrait the first family portrait i've ever been asked to do and I was drawing the family portrait in Sharpie on three-ply Bristol board. And I'm pretty sure when I was about seven years old, seven or eight, so over 30, 30 years ago, I had a pretty, like a vague idea of what I wanted my drawings to look like. And I wanted clear detail. And when I was drawing this family portrait, I looked at it and I thought, like, I think this is what I was thinking about when I was about seven or eight years old. Oh, damn. And it was really anticlimactic, but... Yeah, it only took like 30 years or so. <laughs> well, that's awesome that you made it there. So you were, were you, you were artistically inclined at, when you were younger as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. My mother was, uh, and still is, I think, an artist. And my grandfather, her dad, was a commercial artist. So, yeah, there were always art supplies around, and I took to it immediately. You also drive public transport. Um, and, you know, my first question there is, have you seen the movie Patterson? I have not. I only know this because my partner is an artist bus driver. Uh, but there's a movie called Patterson. Yeah. It's kind of famous. It has Adam Driver. Um, and basically he drives public transport and he's a poet. And a lot of it is him observing people who come on the bus observing their conversations and maybe sort of drawing on those like little tidbits to pull into his, you know, art form, which makes me think of you (laughs) because I saw um, your public, the chin, uh, the chin mask series. Oh yeah. I mean, the people watching, that's done on public, the inspiration you can get just from riding a bus, nonetheless, driving a bus. I'm wondering, do, do you, do you find yourself pulling a lot of inspiration from your, your, your side job? Sometimes uh, a lot of the public transportation inspiration that I get, or like the chin mask series that I did that came more out of frustration. Yeah. Yeah. I understand not wanting to conform to authority, but this is one instance, like the masks. That's one instance where I think like you really should wear it. Mm-hmm. Well, I wonder what it is. These, these specific people that you've included in this series, you know, 
what why do you choose to immortalize them like what compels you to use your art to draw their likeness you know instead of like drawing beyonce or something (laughs) you know what i mean yeah um i've never drawn beyonce um (laughs) you're welcome (laughs) uh thank you (laughs) i guess it all like comes out of you know like you've got the mask on your chin it's right there you concede that it's a thing and you've got it there and it is on your face it's not functioning the way that the mask was designed to function and asking people's you know, three, four, five times over and over again to put their mask on because the the air in the bus circulates. And there's a tendency of, of people who like to wear their mask around their chin to sit right back in the in the very back of the bus, right next to the air intake. And you try and explain this. Um, I've got a a pretty solid crew of about seven. Uh, regular bus riders who will see me outside of work and who really mad dog me. Like they look at me as like, I'm, that's the guy right there. That's the guy who is forcing me to wear the mask. I've got, I've got one guy who kind of follows me a bit. Not, I wouldn't say like follow, follow, but he'll sort of, and I'll turn around and he's, he's staring right at me. When you draw him, are, are you channeling frustration through the pen, releasing it into paper? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All of this comes from like a real lack of leadership, a, a, a genuine failure of leadership, a very tragic failure of leadership. What is it? 350 or yeah, 350,000 deaths. That's catastrophic. I noticed you mentioned something called the art office studios. Um, and that made me really curious. Could you just explain what that is and what your experience with that was like, or is like art office was an idea that Carla from Dick Blick had vaguely based on the TV show, the office, but just sort of like, a place where artists can get together and yeah, add a sort of like a, a a work element, like a job element to their artistic practice. You have like open studios, you know, you, um, you work together in and off. Of course with COVID we couldn't work together in an office. So it was a lot of like zoom meetings and such. But yeah, it was Carla's idea, and it's really great. I enjoyed it a great deal, even though I wasn't—I wouldn't call myself the best office worker. I kind of like to work at my own pace. Whereas, like, there's weekly goal. Like every Monday, you set your goals, and then on Fridays, you get together as an office and talk about: Did you accomplish your goal? If you didn't accomplish it, why didn't you accomplish it? Stuff like that. So adding adding a bit of uh, um, accountability, but nothing nothing severe. You're not going to be put on a performance plan or something like that. Even though I think uh, there was a time when I, I should have been put on a performance plan where it's like, all right, we're going to sit down. We're going to write out, you know, like what you need to do. 
I thought it sounded really cool because it's like blending. Like you think of artists like often like just absolutely averse to the idea of cubicle office life, office life nine to five. But there are actually like things within that school, you know, of working of thought that can be useful um, applied to your artistic life, having a manager, you know, logging your time, tracking your productivity, like things that could be useful. So I thought that was, I thought that was a really interesting way to just approach it. Like just using that format. Using it as in like, for instance, um, when you actually do log your time, and you look at, for instance, the four and some odd hours that I took to draw the hairy man. You look at that and you think to yourself, like, what's that worth? What is, what is that worth? What are you worth an hour, for instance? So, you know, you, you work that way in like having a job. You work by the hour or something like that. Well, what are you work? What are you worth? Yeah. What's your art time worth? It makes you really uh, think about that, or at least I did. I think other people certainly have. I've had this conversation with my friends a few times, but like valuing our time and our art, especially starting out, is so difficult. Um, it feels so uncomfortable to ask people for what you're worth. I'll take pictures for someone for five hours and I'll be like, okay, just buy me dinner. <laughs> just grab me a slice of pizza. We'll call it good. And I know I have friends who do the same thing and I've had to start being like, no, I'm paying you more. Is that something that you experience as well as mm -hmm. having the difficulty, you know, asking for what you think you deserve? It's been so hard. And like, it's such a difficult thing. Starting off, like as, you know, like talking about, value and art having like friends and family around you it can be one of the worst things and it's really not fair it's not fair at all it's one of those things that i think of like when people say life's not fair because the people around you your friends and your family they don't want to bother you they don't want to prevent you from working they don't they want you to be successful very much but a lot of times the things that they do and say isn't very helpful to an artist. I get, you know, friends and family will talk to me about like, you know, I just wish that you could just make postcards or I wish that you could do this or I wish that you could. And it doesn't really it doesn't work that way. And they genuinely want you to succeed. It's not a quite like they're not trying to shortchange you and they're not trying to derail you. They honestly aren't. Uh, especially when you grow up in an area like Iowa, which is a great area, but trying to figure out art value in Iowa is a little, it's pretty difficult because art doesn't really have the same attraction as, it, as you might get in, in, a, in a city. People can definitely appreciate it, but when it comes to, yeah, thinking in terms of value, especially like with, with your friends, you know, like you don't want to charge your friends. Yep. You don't want to charge your friend. Like, who wants to charge their friend? Like, I don't want to do that. It's the most uncomfortable thing in the world. It makes me, like, it makes me nauseous. It used to make me physically sick. I, I hated, I hated it. I absolutely hated it. But I, but you got to do it. 
and if they if 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 you know they're capable you know like they've got a good job and you know they're capable then it's like okay <laughs> but um it's a very difficult thing it's very difficult um uncomfy yeah incredibly uncomfy incredibly my wife just got me a weighted blanket and it's a game changer for me and i <laughs> i okay. wish that i i wish that i had had a weight like there are a lot of art decisions that i needed a weighted blanket for the weighted blanket it's like my ruby slippers <laughs> oh my god that's the whole quote from this <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Um, what's the best way for people to support your work right now? I have an Instagram. Go check out my Instagram. I've got a website and I've got a Patreon. So if you actually wanted to support me financially, you could go to the Patreon and I've got tears and whatnot. So, yeah. Awesome. Mark, thank you again for talking today. <laughs> It's so nice to meet you. Um, I'm a big fan already. Hey, thank you very much. It's great to meet you. I appreciate it. We'll be right back with a conversation with Kevin Felker. But first, here's a word from our sponsors. Announcing the new Friends of the Inglert program with benefits that span across our festivals, enhance access for students, and create a strong foundation for our mission to inspire and activate positive community growth through the arts. Since our closure in March 2019 due to the pandemic, our nonprofit theater has lost most of our earned income from ticket sales. We need the help of supporters like you now more than ever before. Joining Friends of the Inglert gets you great access to our 2021 digital season, including online concerts, educational programming, and Witching Hour and Mission Creek festivals. Please consider making a monthly, quarterly, or annually recurring donation to Friends of the Inglert, and then get going to some great digital events with those good vibes knowing that you're helping Iowa City's last remaining historic theater get through this difficult time. Make a difference in your community? Get great perks. It's a win-win. Join Friends of the Inglert by visiting inglert.org slash friends. Along with his wife, Susan, and his son, Alex, Kevin Felker owns and operates the Prairie Kitchen Store, a new cookware shop in the Northside neighborhood. The family-owned business hopes to be a gathering place centered around cooking and sustainability, which has been difficult to realize as the shop opened amidst the pandemic. When he's not working in the store, Kevin is also a lecturer of business analytics at the Tippy College of Business. Okay, Kevin, it's so awesome to have you here today. Thanks for taking time to chat. Thank you. I, I have to say, uh, I am a Tippy alum. We are Tippy uh, cohorts, which I never had you as a lecturer. Yeah, I uh, I just I I made. When did you graduate? Twenty nineteen. Okay. Yeah, that was probably, I, I now teach the Intro to Information Systems course. Oh, okay. That's required for all, all Tippy majors, but uh, I probably didn't, I don't think I taught it back then, so. Yeah, that's actually funny because I was just talking about that class the other day. I'm like, I was not ready for that class to be so interesting. Okay. I still <laughs> on it sometimes. 
Anyways, <laughs> just wanted to say that, make that little connection right off the bat. Let's talk about, I'm really excited to talk about the Prairie Kitchen. Um, and I want to start with kind of the beginning because it was sort of a unique beginning in that you all, you opened during the pandemic. Is that right? Yes, we uh, we were originally, well, the pandemic started what, roughly March, I guess. And we were originally scheduled to open sometime in uh, probably middle of April or something like that. Uh, and so that just wasn't going to work out. So we ended up opening on June 1st. Uh, so yeah, so there, I mean, there's obviously was, were, uh, were some worries about, you know, is, is with the pandemic on, is anyone going to actually show up at your store? Uh, but as far as us opening, it was, yes, we're, we're, there's, there's no turning back and we're going to do this. And then it's just kind of, well, uh, you know, let's, let's hope for the best going forward. And, uh, and, uh, let's, let's, uh, hope that, that Iowa city really, really wants this business and, and will will like to shop at this business, uh, even given it's a, uh, pandemic. It seems like the community has really embraced the Prairie Kitchen. I've been seeing a lot of love for it. And, you know, a lot of us in this time have been forced to do a little bit of home cooking, you know, to confront our cooking demons. Um, and so I kind of wonder if, if you've kind of noticed that sentiment um, being in the, in the kind of business you are, that, that people are jumping back into or embracing the cooking at home life. Have you noticed that at all? Yeah, yeah. The support from the Iowa City area has been just amazing for the store. So we can't thank everyone enough. It's been uh, uh, absolutely fantastic. Once the pandemic came, as you talked about, it did, people did start cooking more. They stopped going out to eat quite as much probably, and they definitely started to cook more. So, and what was interesting about that is I think uh, what people were cooking. So mm -hmm. it, it became apparent that a lot of people were, for example, baking bread. Well, we didn't, we, you know, we were buying product to start selling in April and May and June. And that's typically not a big bread baking time of year. Uh, <laughs> but everybody was coming in saying, I want bread baking supplies and tools and equipment. Well, we, we clearly didn't order enough bread baking stuff. Uh, so we had to quickly reorder some uh, more bread baking stuff. And then that led into another issue. Uh, as, a, as a business major, you're aware of the supply chain. Well, what, what happened then is the supply chain also became kind of messed up. Oftentimes, it, it seems to me that uh, from, uh, supply chain issues are oftentimes are sometimes weather related. So if someone's in like a, you know, a hurricane's just hit or, and they're, and they happen to have maybe their, their warehouses or, or factories in that area. Uh, so there, so oftentimes there will be uh, a weather related uh, supply chain uh, issues. Uh, but I, 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 this just goes across everything. Literally. I mean, it's, it's, and it's not just imported goods. It's, goods manufactured in the uh, in the US where there's increased demand for some items like bread baking and some other items that nobody ever anticipated and they can't meet the demand 
the rejuvenation of of joy and love for coming together in the kitchen with your family, baking, delivering goods to your friends. You know, for me, that's been a fun part of one of the positive consequences. There aren't too many, but one of the positive consequences of the pandemic that I've enjoyed seeing that's made my heart warm. I'm kind of curious, how did your family land on um, having a, a cookware gifts and sort of serving entertainment store? Several years ago, we were, uh, my wife worked at the university and she was thinking about retiring and wanted to do something new. And uh, we were talking about, uh, you know, what type of business we, we, we as, a, as a family, uh, that we might be interested in opening and running. Uh, and it really, we, we, we had a, uh, I don't even remember what other things we were talking about at this point, uh, but it all came down to the fact that we all really love to cook. We all really love to, to uh, entertain and host people at our house uh, uh, surrounded by food uh, and always involving food uh, and, and, and some drinking uh, too sometimes. Uh, so it always involved that. Uh, and, uh, and it was kind of like at that point, well, that's something that we, 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 we all know pretty well. We all really like Let's start. Let's start looking at that. It seems like, from my impression, that community does mean a lot to you and your family and your business. The community of coming around food or coming around drinking, getting together, but also the larger community of our town of Iowa City, and then even then the community of the planet and taking care of our planet and working on that together. And one awesome thing that y'all have done that I want to highlight is the partnership with the University of Iowa's Natural History Museum. And I think it's so cool that even though your business started, you know, in the middle of a pandemic, it's already got to be so hard. You already got to be so nimble and on your game. You you still wanted to um, take an opportunity to give back to a part of our community that's kind of hurting or in an even more tough position right now. So would you be able to explain just a little bit what that partnership uh, looked like and, and what, how it came about? Yeah. Uh, it's, it was totally came about because of, uh, well, Susan, my wife is a co-owner of the store myself and then our son, Alex, and it totally came about and it's totally a hundred percent, the responsibility of our son, Alex. He wanted to do something, and uh, honestly, I don't remember how he how he came up with this idea. Uh, I, I I just don't remember uh, exactly. But part of it might have been one of the things that we're uh, when we're thinking about uh, how to get back to the community. And our name is the Prairie Kitchen Store. We, we're we're always thinking about well, how can we kind of tie it back to the prairie or the natural environment and that type of thing. Uh, so given that it's the Museum of Natural History and they have lots of things in there back when the state of Iowa was, you know, mostly prairie, uh, that we thought that that kind of things like that would fit in. And and he came up with something there and just ran with it. You raised almost six thousand dollars in sales for the museum. So that's amazing. Um. OK, so now is the big moment where we talk about 
the show that rocked your world, that blew your mind, that that changed who you are fundamentally as a person. That's what I'm expecting to get into <laughs> now. <laughs> My first question, though, before we get there, is what is because you selected a music concert? What what is your relationship with music? Are you an avid listener, a casual listener, a frequent concert goer? Where do you lie on the spectrum? Uh, I listen to I listen to a lot of music, uh, whether it's in the, I guess in the you know in the car or uh, well in the store we have some playlists that we that we uh, will play. We uh, have been regular uh, attendees of of shows at uh, at the Mill and uh, the Angler uh, through the years. So we've gone to quite a few shows uh, uh, there. And just, uh, yeah, just, you know, just really, really enjoy uh, uh, listening to music. So why don't you tell us, give us the big reveal. What is your best show ever? Where is it? Um, what's the time of day? What's the setting? It's the same artist. But it's two shows. I'll allow it. All right. Uh, <laughs> so uh, the the one that just, just, kind of just jumped out from my memory uh, when we were, when I was talking with uh, Susan about this uh, was the first time that Kishibashi came to town and played at the mill. And honestly, I'd have to go back and look, I don't even remember what year it was. Uh, It it was, it, it has to be at least six years ago or maybe probably longer at this point. We, uh, I had never heard of him. Uh, but, uh, our, our friend of ours was getting some, had some, uh, some, I don't remember how had some free tickets, uh, and, uh, and, uh, was just like, well, I got, I, I have these, these tickets to this show and I kind of looked at him online and it looks like it might, looks like he plays violin and it might be kind of fun. Uh, so, uh, let's, let's get some other friends and let's, let's just go to the show. We went to the show, uh, and we were all just blown away. Uh, he plays a, uh, a, uh, uh, electric violin and he has one of his band members who plays, I think he calls it a banjotron and it's an electric banjo that also has a percussive element to it. So not only does he play it like a banjo, but he also has a uh, a kind of a drumstick that he that he holds too, and it's and he can use it from a from, uh, like a drum too. In addition to playing it, uh, uh, I think I, like a banjo. And again, I think he calls it a banjo trot or something. We were all just blown away by his music. Uh, and uh, and everything about the show, so much energy. The music was fantastic. And then several years later, he played at the uh, Engler. It's it's music that you can really you can sing to. You oftentimes you can dance to, uh, and everything. And it's just it's just uh, uh, everything everything that's good about music uh, is what he does in his shows. Mm. Well, first of all, there are few things better in this world than a friend who's got a free ticket. <laughs> That's, That's right. maybe number one best thing for me. You don't know what you're going to, but it's for free, so who cares, you right. know? Right. And then it turns out amazing. Oh. Yep. Double whammy. Yep. 
And from what I've seen from Kishibashi, what's most impressive is how much he can do with very little. Right. The vast sonic landscapes, the songwriting, everything that he can do just playing the violin and using a loop pedal is innovation, mastery of the craft, creativity, all just like it packed in one person. Yeah. Yeah. Everything's so creative and yeah. And, and I, you know, most bands will, or a lot of bands will use a looper pedal, but he just, he has mastered it. Uh, just, uh, like no one I've ever seen as far as that. And, and just, uh, layering so much, so much sound together. Yeah. To get this, I don't know, this just sonic, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, explosion, I guess, uh, that, uh, in his music, that's just, just amazing. And I don't know if you know this, but the, uh, Englert Kishibashi show actually won an award for being, um, I think it was the Crandick's, best concert of 2018 so you you were in a moment of history because a lot of people said that that show was profound uh you know lasted in their memories for a long time to where they would later go on and vote and say that that was their favorite show and one thing i loved in the little village write-up of of the show for the the award that it got um was when the lights were on, the house lights went up and everyone gathered around, including dozens of children looking up to the musicians with awestruck faces. And like just the imagery of that just made me like feel something so warm, seeing these children look up in wonder and amazement in this moment. And then probably the adults feeling the exact same way as these kids and these super cool performers. So... Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Well, thank you so much again for sharing that memory with us um, and sharing your family and your cute and wonderful store with our Northside community. Um, You know, cooking is definitely cooking and music are two excellent ways to come together in a weird time. So we're glad we can have a moment to celebrate both of those things. So. Absolutely. Thank you. And thanks to the Engler for everything that, that uh, the Engler does and all the other arts venues and, and everything else in Iowa City. So we, we love Iowa City. More together. Our song of the week is Portrait by Wave Cage. Wave Cage is an experimental jazz band comprised of Iowa City legends Nolan Schroeder on sax, Ryan Garmeau on flugelhorn, Jarrett Purdy on keys, and Chris Jensen on drums. The group composes their tunes with an electronic flair, layering contemporary textures with traditional sounds. And believe me when I tell y'all, this one is groovy. Here it is, Portrait by Wave Cage.
Support for this podcast comes from Friends of the Inglert. To learn more, visit inglert.org slash friends. Ongoing support provided by the National Endowment for the Arts and the Iowa Arts Council, a division of the Iowa Department of Cultural Affairs, and by the United States Regional Arts Resilience Fund. Phase One is an initiative of Arts Midwest and its peer United States Regional Arts Organizations, made possible by the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation.